Thank you for listening to the Paradigm Podcast. Paradigm is a young adult ministry that exists to see lives changed by Jesus. For more information about Paradigm, go to ParadigmKC.com. We hope this message is inspiring and life-changing. Thanks for listening. Excited to be here. My name is uh, Todd. Uh, Glad to be here. I'm one of the pastors over at Graceway Church, and so uh, I just bring, hey, I appreciate that. I bring love to y'all from, from Raytown, all the way from Raytown. I traveled in. Hey, come on, somebody, Raytown. Uh, glad to be here. Hey, first and foremost, I just want to, I want to give some honor to, to Pastor Chad tonight. Uh, he's, he's, he's somewhere on vacation with his toes out. You know, you know, you know life is good when the toes are out, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, he's loving life right now. Appreciate uh, y'all giving me some grace, him giving me the invite to come here. Excited to be with you guys. Uh, my name's Todd. Uh, I'm, I'm a recent transplant to Kansas City. Uh, I've spent the past uh, 16 years in St. Louis City. I'm a church planter. Anybody know about church planting? It means I'm, I, yeah, it means I've been broke. Amen. Praise God. Yeah. So, uh, so for 15 years, I've been in the city of St. Louis, downtown. Uh, planting churches. We planted three churches in St. Louis. Uh, first church when I was 25. Any 25-year-olds in the, in the house? Yeah, you don't know what you're doing with your life, and neither did I, but I was starting a church, okay? And so I uh, planted churches. Uh, I'm married for 13 years to my beautiful wife, Juliet. We got three babies. Violet is 10. Theo is, uh, are they up there? Oh, there, praise God. Uh, Theo's my son. He's seven. And then Alexandra, she's a, uh, she don't like people. You know what I'm saying? She's like, she was two when COVID hit, so she's not used to, like, seeing people out in the wild. And so uh, she's four, uh, four or just turned five. And so uh, that's my family. I'm very grateful that they give me a night away to come be with y'all. And so I'm excited to get to work with you guys tonight. Uh, we got some heavy lifting to do tonight. Is that okay? I mean, okay, okay, it's going to be a long night. It's going to be a long night if y'all don't talk back to me, okay? Uh, my... My theology of preaching is that this is not a monologue, amen? Uh, It's not even a dialogue. It's not just me and y'all. This is a conversation between me, you, and the Holy Spirit. And so if you don't engage with your part, we're missing one of the legs of this triangle. So me, you, and the Holy Spirit are going to have a conversation tonight uh, coming from God's Word. Because if, if the Holy Spirit doesn't get involved in the situation, we can't even rightly divide God's Word, Amen. So we're going to do some heavy lifting. Uh, Anybody here ever read the book of Esther? There you go. Um, uh, Esther is is one of the dopest stories in all of Scripture. Uh, It's it's incredible. And and we see this young woman, oftentimes in Scripture you see kind of the the middle of the story being a, a brave young woman. And we see that in the life of Esther. Esther was a contemporary of Daniel. Uh, the book of Daniel, she's, she's kind of a contemporary with Daniel. And uh, we get to see the story of God through the life of Esther. See, Esther comes on the scene uh, after Babylon has been conquered by Persia. And so uh, the people of God, Israel, have been conquered by Babylon and taken into captivity, okay? Uh, Daniel was alive during the time of Babylon's reign. But then you know how world powers do. They just continue to rise up and crush each other. And here comes Persia. They're the new guys on the scene, and they crush Babylon. When they do that, they free the people of God to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the city. But many of the 
Israelites that had been previously in, in, uh, enslaved by Babylon, they remained not in captivity but in exile. So we find Esther living in exile under Persian rule. Uh, Esther and her family, listen, y'all, they were trying to figure out how to live for God in a country that didn't follow him. Does that hit home for anybody? Trying to figure out, I'm, I'm telling y'all, y'all got to talk back to me. I'm, I'm going to start spitting and sweating real, real soon, okay? Okay, Esther is trying to figure out how to live for God in a country that doesn't follow him. Esther really reads like a movie script. If you read Esther front to back, it's like a movie script. It's an amazing story. And I want to begin today in the middle of the story. I want to begin in the middle of Esther and kind of like a, a dope uh, Marvel movie. I want to begin in the middle, and then I want to walk back to the beginning all the way through the end. So we're going to cover the whole book of Esther. Y'all ready tonight? Hey, okay, I, I appreciate y'all. I appreciate y'all. So uh, before we enter into Esther chapter 4, I want to catch us up uh, to where we'll start today. So Esther is a closeted Jewish woman, which means she has not come out as a Jewish woman uh, living as uh, the queen of Persia. So Esther, who's a Jewish woman, finds herself to be the queen of Persia. At the same time, there's been a royal decree by the king that all Jewish people will be killed. Esther's uncle is telling her about the situation of their people and trying to get her to go to the king, her husband, and plead for the rescue of God's people. And this is where we pick up the story today in Esther chapter 4, starting in verse 10. Read along with me on the screen. Then Esther spoke to Hephich and commanded him to go to Mordecai, her uncle, and say, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, so that he may live. But as for me... I have not been called to come to the king in these 30 days. She's saying, hey, if you go to the king without him calling for you, you could be put to death if he doesn't hold out his golden scepter. And she said, hey, I haven't been called for in at least 30 days, so I could be putting myself in harm's way. Verse 12 continues. And then her uncle Mordecai said, uh, they told uncle Mordecai what Esther had said, then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. This is like the earliest text messaging, right? This is, he said, she said, tell Esther, don't think that to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom, what's it say? For such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I'll go to the king, though it's against the law. If I die, I die. That's one of the hardest lines. Esther's like, hey, if I perish... I perish. Verse 17, Mordecai then went away and did everything Esther had ordered him to do. I want to preach to you tonight from this main idea. Don't throw away your shot. Turn to your neighbor, say, don't throw it away. 
Turn to, the, turn to the other neighbor and say, you better take your shot. That's right. Shoot or shoot. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I, remember, I remember watching this YouTube clip. I remember watching this YouTube clip in t- uh, of, a, of a clip in 2009. Anybody just like find themselves scrolling through YouTube watching meaningless, ignorant stuff? Yeah, that's, that's me. Praise God. Praise God. We'll have a group after this. Um, I was watching this clip in 2009 uh, of, a, of a poetry and art festival that uh, then-President uh, Obama and First Lady Michelle were having at the White House. And this young playwright steps to the stage in front of the president. Uh, his name is Lin-Manuel Miranda. And he, hey, there we go. We got some fans in the room. And he, what he explains to the crowd that's watching is that he's about to rap a song about the founding fathers. See, y'all don't laugh because you know the back end of that story. But at the time, it seemed like the most idiotic thing to possibly do. He'd had successful work in the past, and this was his moment to stand in front of the president and prove himself. And what he does is decide to take this new work that he had and present it to these room of important people. Now, the, the song that he sings would go on to become the opening song for Hamilton the Musical. And the theme of this song is don't throw away your, hey, so, let me do it, try it again. Don't throw away your, there we go. And so he begins, but we have to backtrack. He, Hamilton hasn't arrived yet. And he steps on the scene in front of the president and the first lady in a room full of dignitaries. In a later interview, he would say it was the most nervous he'd ever been in his entire life. But he understood the power of a moment, didn't he? the opportunity that he had in front of him. And he began to step to the stage and deliver what would become a redefining moment, not just in his life, but in theater, in culture. It would change things. And we can never go back to before we've heard Hamilton. And so when I think of Lin-Manuel off the stage for a second, sweating a little bit, Wondering maybe, should I do this or not do this? Maybe I should just bring out some solid stuff that I've done in the past. I'm immediately thrown to Esther, waiting to go before the king. Maybe wishing there was another way this could get done. Is there somebody else that could step in and do this for me? And I think that we see a few things about decision making and taking your opportunity from the person of Esther. As she steps to the opportunity to stand in front of the king, there's this realization that she was made for this moment. A calmness would come over her, a steadiness, a peace that whatever comes, she's going to stand firm because she knows what she has to do. She would not throw away her shot. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't throw it away. Now that we're here, I want to go back to the beginning of the story to track Esther's ascension to being queen. We begin, as any good story does, with a huge party at the beginning of the story. Esther chapter 1 starts like this. Now, when the days of, of the, I'm going to call him the king, okay? That's a, you pronounce the name to yourself in your, own, you know, in your own head. Now, when the days of the king, who reigned from India to Ethiopia, over 127 provinces, in those days, when the king sat on his royal throne in Susa, the citadel, in the third year of his reign... 
he gave a feast for all his officials and servants. The army of Persia and Media and the nobles and governors of the provinces were before him. While he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor of the pomp of his greatness for many days, 180 days. And when these days were completed, the king, the king gave for all the people present in Susa, the citadel, both great and small, a feast lasting for seven more days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. Drinks were served in golden vessels, verse 7, vessels of different kinds. The royal wine was lavished according to the bounty of the king, and drinking was according to this edict. There is no compulsion. For the king had given orders to all the staff of his palace to do as each man desired. Queen Vashti also gave a feast for the women in the palace that belonged to the king. Y'all, basically, in short, they were partying. They were partying. The, the, the turn-up was real for them. This party was lasting for six months. 180 days is six months. Do, carry the one, do the math. It's 180 days is six months. And I don't know, um, anybody in the room got jobs? Okay, pra okay, praise God. Some folks with jobs, we celebrate you, okay? D do you, <laughs> maybe by God's grace, you have a job that gives you two weeks paid vacation. Some of y'all got jobs that if you don't work, you don't get paid. You don't get vacation, <laughs> right? And you don't get paid vacation. But no, nobody in here gets six months to just go and party. That's, co that's college, praise God, okay? My, co my, co my co <laughs> collegiate students are like, I do, okay, we just, just keep living, okay? Just keep living. But the king was like, no, we need six months to celebrate my glory. And the rule for drinking during this party was there's no compulsion. That's Bible terms for YOLO. That's what it is. Like, you only live once, so do what you want to do. There's no compulsion. I heard a redneck tell me one time uh, <laughs> that you can't drink all day if you don't start in the morning. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, I've heard that before. Some of y'all are like, I need to confess something, Pastor. Yeah, okay, we'll get, we'll get to it in a second. But that's basically the king's decree. Turn up as much as you want to. And for the last seven days, they just turn all the way up. Verse 10 says this, On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded seven eunuchs who served in the presence of the king to bring Queen Vashti before him, with her royal crown, so he could show the people and the princes how beautiful she was, for she was lovely to look at. But Queen Fasti refused to come to the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. At this, the king became enraged, and his anger burned within him. So, y'all, the king is feeling himself. The king has been drinking as much as he wanted to for seven days, and he feels really good. He's drinking his favorite stuff, and he gets the feeling like he wants to show his girl off to the boys. Hey, put your crown on. Come out here. I want to show you off to the people. But Queen Vashti, she's been throwing her own party, hasn't she? And when the order comes to come out to the king, she's like, no way am I doing this. I'm not coming out. And so can I preach this how I feel it real quick? I, that, wasn't, that wasn't enough affirmation for me, okay? I'm an Enneagram 7, and so I need affirmation. Praise God. Okay? Can I preach it how I feel it? Okay, so the king's having his party, and so's Queen Vashti. So the king puts an order, hey, Queen Vashti, put on your crown and get out here for me to show you off. Now, there's two ways I see this going. The first way, Vashti is having a real respectful party herself. 
okay? They got, uh, they got uh, wine spritzers, okay? They got finger sandwiches, y'all. They got charcuterie boards. You see that? You see that pronunciation there? Praise God, charcuterie, okay? They're eating food with little toothpicks. It's polished at her party. And so here comes her husband. He's been drinking. He's slobbity. He's, he's feeling himself. And he's like, hey, baby, come out here. Let me show you all to the fellas. And she's like, oh, my goodness. Uh, I will not be manhandled and pawed at. And she refuses to come out. Okay, that's one way it could have gone down. Now, the way I prefer is the second way. Okay? While the king's been turning up himself, Queen Vashti's been having her own party. And her girls are turning all the way up, okay? They, yeah, uh, okay, calm down, calm down. All right? They got mimosas in the a.m., okay? They got margaritas in the afternoon. They got cocktails all night. They're listening to some female empowerment music, y'all. They got Solange playing in the background. They got Taylor Swift breakup music. We're never getting back together, Okay? This is what's going on. And then here comes the king with his drunk self. And he says, baby, come out here to talk to you. I want to show you off to the guys. And immediately she's like, I got to cut this fool. She starts taking heels off, pulling off earrings. And then her girlfriends come out and they grab, grab Vashti. Girl, he's not worth it. He's not worth it. Don't do it. And she's like, yeah, yeah, he's not, he's not worth it. I'm putting my stuff back together. Okay. <clears throat> that probably didn't happen. But either way, Vashti is refusing to go out there. And her decision has an impact, doesn't it? Do you know that your, de your decisions have impact on the people around you? Not just you, but it ripples out from you. She lost her position as queen, and it, it initiated a nationwide search for a new queen. After this nationwide game of America's next top model or Persia's next top queen, Esther finds herself with the king's favor and crowned queen. Vashti made a decision, but it created an opportunity for Esther. Do you know that you may have had an opportunity in your life because of someone else's decision? Our decisions have impact. Esther 2 verse 10 says this, Esther had not made known her people or kindred. She didn't let him know that she was a Jew, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. And every day her uncle walked by the court to learn how Esther was. He loved his niece, and he wanted to find out how she was and what was happening to her. In those days, Mordecai was sitting by the king's gate. Two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold became angry and sought to, to lay hands on the king. This came to Mordecai's knowledge, and he told Queen Esther. And Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. After the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men who were trying to kill the king were both hanged on the gallows, and it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Keep this in the back of your mind. Someone tried to kill the king. Mordecai heard about it, told Esther she told the king in the name of Mordecai, it was found to be true. Those guys get killed, and the king's life is saved because of what Mordecai had done. Because of Mordecai's decisions and Esther's position, they saved the life of the king. You see, your decisions make a difference. 
Now, because these two guards and their assassination attempt, they, they had to be killed. And because of this, it left the gate open. And so they had to put a rising young star in power. So enter this guy named Haman. We see him step on the scene in chapter 3, verse 2. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman. For the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you not listen to the king's command? And when he spoke to and when they spoke to him day after day, and he would not listen to them, they told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them he was a Jew. And when Haman, this new rising star, saw that Mordecai would not bow down to him, he was filled with fury. But he didn't want to lay hands just on Mordecai. So as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews the people of Mordecai. Mordecai continues the call for God's people living in exile. The call for you living in a land that's not your own. Do y'all know that America, it's a great country, but it's not your home? If you belong to Jesus, we're just passing through this place. And the call for the people of God living in a foreign land is this. Honor the king, but worship God. There was way too few amens in the room for that. Our call when when we live in a foreign land is to honor the king but only worship God. You see, Daniel refused to stop praying to God and he was thrown in the lion's den. Mordecai refused to bow down to Haman and Haman gets the king to allow him to put all the Jewish people to death. And we hear Mordecai's response in chapter 4 verse 1. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, he tore his clothes put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the middle of the city and cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went right up to the entrance of the king's gate because you couldn't go in the king's gate if you were mourning. He didn't want any bad news being brought to the king. Verse 3, and in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree had reached, there was great mourning amongst the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting. Verse 4, when Esther's young women... And her eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai. She was deeply distressed, and she sent new clothes to Mordecai. So he may take off his clothes of mourning and put on these new clothes, but he would not accept them. Y'all, Mordecai was burdened about what was happening to his people. He, he needed it to be heard how he felt about this, because what was going on wasn't right When things are jacked up, the people of God have to speak out for those people that are being marginalized and oppressed and put aside. That's our call. We're called to be burdened for brokenness around us. But once the king had issued an edict, it couldn't be reversed. The ethnic cleansing of God's people in Persia and all 127 provinces that this king had was coming, and he... Mordecai goes out in the middle of the city and cries out loud. He tears his clothes, he weeps, he mourns. And here comes Esther, worried about her uncle. So she sends out some new clothes. She's like, hey, Unc, they're going to kill you if you mourn at the king's gate. So put on these new clothes so you can, you can, they see that you're still happy. And they bring in the clothes. He says, I won't wear them. I'm not going to put something on that I'm not feeling. Anybody here ever put on a smile when you weren't feeling it? 
Anybody ever had to fake something when you were broken deep down inside? Mordecai's like, I'm not faking this for anybody. I'm broken and mourning, and people are going to hear about what's wrong in this city. Mm. To this point in chapter 4 when Esther, remember we started in chapter 4? It's at this point where she decides to help her people. It's at this point when she sees the plight of her uncle and the plight of her people. She decides to go to the king. So she devises a plan. She wants to alert the king to Haman's plot to kill God's people. She invites the king. See, Esther's really slick. She invites the king and Haman to, uh, as honored guests to a feast that she's having. You see, Haman was a proud man. And his pride was growing as he got more power and opportunity. And here comes the queen inviting him to a meal. Well, let me dust myself off real quick and get myself ready for this meal. You see, but he isn't satisfied just to go and celebrate this meal with the queen. He, he says, I can't, be, I can't be happy if Mordecai is still alive. You see, Mordecai is out here crying for his people, and Haman wants to kill him. He said, I can't be happy at this party if Mordecai is still alive. So he tells his people, hey, go build some gallows so after I fill my stomach at this party, I can come back and we can, we can hang Mordecai right now. So he goes to the party while his people go and build some gallows to hang Mordecai on. While all of this is going on, listen, y'all, the king can't sleep. You ever, you ever had trouble sleeping? Yeah, you're like, I mean, I need, I need some melatonin gummies. I need something going on right now. And, and what do you do oftentimes when you can't sleep? You pull up Netflix, right? You just start watching just meaningless garbage. You're like, you know, and then three episodes in, Netflix is like, are you still watching? You're like, shut up, Netflix. <laughs> like, I paid my $12.99. Don't ask me if I'm still watching. Yeah, I'm still watching. Keep playing this mug. You work for me, Netflix. And the king doesn't have Netflix, so what he does is he pulls out his royal chronicles. He starts reading the stories about his reign. He's just like you and me. This is his Netflix. He's reading about his reign. And what he finds out is that the person who saved his life from the assassination attempt has never been honored for doing this. So he calls out into the hallway for somebody to help him figure out what kind of gift to give the man that saved his life. And he calls out, you know, Haman's trifling rear end is out there in the hallway, like waiting, waiting to hear from the king. So here comes Haman in the room. And the king's like, hey, Haman, what should I do to honor the greatest man in our kingdom? Haman thinks he's talking about him. So Haman's like, hey, man, hey, uh, get, get your best clothes, king. Bring out your best horse. You should put that man in your best clothes on your best horse and ride him around the city to show everybody how great this man is. That's what you should do for this man, king. And the king says, hey, Haman, that's a great idea. Go and get Mordecai and do that for him. Can you, can, can you imagine? Can you imagine Haman's face when he has to go to the man that he wants dead and see him honored, not just see him honored, but lead him in a parade of honor all around the city? And what we see here is, y'all ever heard the term, the writings on the wall? Like the tables are starting to turn here. Haman's starting to lose grip of what is going on. But Haman can't be bothered. He's got to get to this feast. And we see the feast happen in chapter 7, verses 1. We're getting towards the end here. 
So the king and Haman went to the feast with the queen. On the second day of the feast, y'all, they just drank and drank. They were drinking wine after the feast. The king again says to Esther, hey, what's your wish, queen? Anything you want, and I'll grant it to you. Even half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Then the queen says, if I found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases you, let my life be granted for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated. If we were sold just to be slaves, I wouldn't have bothered you with this. The, queen, the king answers the queen in verse 5. Who is he and where is he who's dared to do this? And Esther says, a foe, an enemy, the wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. Listen, y'all, it gets better. The king arose, verse 7 in chapter 7, from his wrath, from the wine drinking. Y'all, it's just every verse is like they're just turning up over and over. And he went to the palace garden. He's fuming. He storms out of the building. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther. For he saw that harm was about to fall him. Verse 8. And when the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine, he walks in right as Haman is falling on the couch where Esther is laying. Oops, I fell over on top of the queen. He walks in and the king is enraged. He's like, what is going on? And in the most gangster moment in the story, they throw a hood over Haman's head and whoop, just pull him out of the room. They put a hood over his head, take him out, and he says, hey, put him to death. <laughs> One of the officials says to the king, hey, there's some gallows that Haman had prepared for Mordecai whose words saved the king. They're standing in Haman's house 50 cubits high, and the king said, hang him on that. <laughs> Amazing. This man dies on the very instrument that he built to kill somebody else. In the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, on the 13th day of the same, this is chapter 9, verse 1, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out, the edict to kill the Jews, on the very day when the enemies of the Jews had hoped to gain the mastery over them, the reverse occurred. You see, when the king saw the plight of Queen Esther and her people, he issued a second decree. The first decree was to kill the people of God. The second decree was the people of God could come together and form a defense against their enemies. So at the exact same time that their enemies stand against them, verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 9, the reverse occurred. The Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. The Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the provinces of the king to lay hands on those who sought them harm. And no one could stand against them for the fear of them had fallen on all the people. Isn't this story amazing? The people of God saved by the boldness of Queen Esther. And, and I'm sure that you've already taken some notes and pulling out some, some beautiful things to, to, to communicate to yourself the points. But I, I want to show three specific things today about Esther's encouragement to not throw away your shot. Three specific things. I'm going to work real quick. Number one, your decisions make a difference. The importance of your decisions are shown all over the story. Vashti's decision not to come out for the king. Haman's decision to exalt himself over Mordecai. And most clearly, Esther's decision to risk her own life for the sake of God's people. 
The theme throughout this story is that we have responsibility for our decisions. If you're in this room, you're grown. You have decisions that need to be made in your life, and you have responsibility to make good decisions. Not for your own exaltation, but to serve the people around you. The theme throughout this story is that we have responsibility. See, God provides moments, and we make the move. I'm going to say it again for the people in the back. God provides you moments, and you make a move. Yes, God is sovereign. God is in control, but we are also responsible. We have options in this life. We have decisions to make. When we make moves solely for our own exaltation, the results can be disastrous. Are you walking in selfish decisions right now? Are you feeling the weight of selfishness in your life? Haman did. He could tell things were going well, weren't going well, even though he was putting himself in all the right positions. He kept making mistakes at every turn because he was focused only on himself. Or are there things in your life today that God is calling you to? Things that may require risk and sacrifice, but things that will serve people around you. Maybe you're having trouble making a decision today. Maybe you feel stuck. My advice to you from Esther, get you a Mordecai. Do you have a Mordecai in your life? See, Mordecai knew Esther before she ever became queen, before she hit it big, so to say. Mordecai cared about his niece, Esther, not Queen Esther. He didn't care about her life in the kingdom. He cared about her life, period. You need some people in your life who can look at your situation and be separate from it, care about you more than your position, care about you more than just what you may get to. They love you. Do you have a Mordecai in your life? If you do, invite them into some decision-making. Invite them to pray for you. Maybe you have somebody in the room right now. you got a decision in your life. You need to grab somebody next to you and say, hey, I need you to pray for me. But maybe you're saying, hey, pastor, I don't have a Mordecai in my life. My family's jacked up. I don't have a lot of friends. I'll tell you this one thing I know to be true. There is a God in heaven. There's a God in heaven. And he sits high, but he looks low. And he comes alongside you in your decision-making. And he wants you to bring your different worries and fears and hopes and dreams to him. Turn your decisions over to God. Let him be your Mordecai. He sits outside of your situation and gets involved into it. Get you a Mordecai. Take your decisions to God. What the story also reveals is that what burdens you can become your blessing. (laughs) What burdens you can become your blessing. Think about Mordecai. This man's heart was broken for what was happening around him. But the burden that God put on him for his people drove him to action. Are there some of you in the room tonight that have been burdened by God for something? Stop ignoring it. Let your burden become your blessing. The fact that Mordecai moved on behalf of his people, I didn't get to this part of the story. Not only did, uh, did Haman die on the thing that was supposed to kill Mordecai, Mordecai was then given all of Haman's riches. <laughs> the burden that Mordecai bore brought blessing about in his life. Do you know that God's burdening you for something? I don't know who you are, what you got going on in your life, but I guarantee you, you're burdened for something. A people, a place, or a cause that you can't get away from. Something that keeps you awake at night. 
God is putting burdens on his people to get them to move and make decisions. I'm going to keep going because y'all are we're, we're tracking with me. So the most powerful thing about this story, and, I, and then I'm in my seat, okay? Uh, the most powerful thing about the story is actually something that's missing from the story. Uh, anybody in here like um, cool furniture? Anybody? Like you're like, you're like yeah, I, can, I like cool furniture. I can't afford it, praise God. Hey, but I'll go to Ikea with you for six hours. Okay, um, <laughs> there's this thing that happens in the world of, the, of design. Uh, it's this idea of negative space. Negative space is when something is designed and certain areas are left out intentionally. So you may see a cool chair that you like that has a hole cut in the middle of it so you can see through the chair. Uh, you may walk into a beautifully decorated dining room that has an incredible rug in the middle of the room, and you don't want to cover up that rug with a big, bulky table, so you put a glass-top dining table on top of it so you can see through it. You see, that's called negative space in the design world. It's something that is intentionally removed to reveal the beauty hidden behind it. And there's something that's missing from the story of Esther. I don't know if you noticed, but never one time in the story of Esther is God ever mentioned. He's not there. You can read it front to back, and God isn't there. Now, I want to come to you with this last point tonight that I think we see most clearly from the story of Esther. This idea of negative space is that even when God is quiet, he's still in control. Y'all didn't holler quite good. I'm preaching like 90% better than y'all are listening right now. Yeah. When, when God is quiet, he's still in control. Somebody say amen to that. And I want to walk you through it and then I'm in my seat. God was in control when Vashti refused to come to the king. God was in control when Esther had favor with everyone she met. God was in control when Haman was scheming to kill Mordecai and the Jews. God was in control while Esther was worried about going to the king about Haman. God was in control while Haman's people were building the gallows. While God was never mentioned in the story, y'all, he was powerfully working behind the scenes to orchestrate the redemption of his people. Through the beautiful times, he was working, securing Esther's power. And through the moments where it seemed like Mordecai and the people of God were doomed, God was at work. And some of you are here today and you feel like God is too quiet in your life. You feel like he's far away. You haven't heard from him in a long time. And can I tell you, can I reassure you, can I give you hope today that even though you feel far from God, he's actively working behind the scenes of your life. You, maybe you came tonight and you're like, man, I don't even know why I'm coming to this thing. I, I really need a girlfriend or a boyfriend, so maybe I'll just show up. And I'm, just, I'm just going through the motions because I don't feel like my prayers are getting past the ceiling. But I'm telling you tonight <laughs> that God works in the negative space of our life. Things that we think are missing, God is using those to reveal beautiful things he's doing in our lives. You don't believe me that something's bigger at play here in the story of Esther? This amazing woman who risks her life to save God's people? I'm going to need your help as I close my sermon. Will y'all help me close my sermon today? You see, Esther isn't the only person who puts their life on the line to save God's people, is she? No, she isn't. You see, Esther risked her life to save God's people, but Jesus sacrificed his life to save God's people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Esther, 
Esther's about more than Israel being saved from the rule of Persia. Esther is about you being saved from the rule of sin and death. When Esther risked her life, she caused the death sentence against God's people to be nullified. But when Jesus sacrificed his life for you, he caused the death sentence against you to be nullified. When Jesus died on the cross, he took away the penalty for our sin and freed us from sure death. Esther is about Jesus, y'all. The first decree the king released was the people of God had to die. Haman made sure of that, didn't he? But when Esther risked her life, the king issued a second decree. This one said the people of God could come together, mount a defense, and overpower their enemies. What Esther did, listen, y'all, I'm almost done. She didn't just cancel the decree of death. It gave God's people power over their enemies. Some of y'all need to track with me right now. What Jesus has accomplished for us is not just to free us from sin and death, but because of Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection, we have power over our enemy. See, some of y'all are walking around like, like Jesus just saved you, but he gave you power too. You're walking around like, man, I got to carry these sins around. I got to just keep dealing with these for another 20, 30, 40 years, and then I'll be called into glory. No! The second decree, the, the, the new covenant we have in the blood of Jesus is that you don't just have freedom from sin. You have power over your enemy. Y'all are walking around powerless, acting like you're a slave to sin. To sin. And Jesus is saying, hey, I've overcome that. The story of Esther is not about just her saving God's people from death. It's about Jesus giving you power over the enemy. But we can't throw away our shot, y'all. Say, don't throw it away. Some of y'all today, you're walking around powerless because you never gave your life to Jesus. You're walking around still stuck in that sin because you haven't experienced the victory that comes through the blood of Christ. You've never given your life to Jesus. You've never accessed the power that's waiting for you to have put into your hands. You need to know that when God is silent, he's still in control. Maybe you haven't heard from him lately, but he's working things out for you. Maybe your faith has felt stale recently, but God's still taking care of you, y'all. Maybe you felt forgotten, but my God sees right where you are, and his hands are outstretched now to receive you. I want us to bow our heads all over the room. Because I feel like there's some people today who haven't accessed this power. If you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus, I, I just want to, you can say this prayer with me under your breath. I'm going to say it slowly so you can repeat it. If you've never trusted in Jesus, maybe today for the first time, you would see the power of God through the person of Jesus to transform you and change you. If that's you, would you pray this prayer with me? Jesus, thank you for creating me and for loving me. Even when I've ignored you and gone my own way, I need you in my life. I'm sorry for my sins against you and others. I believe you died on a cross for my sins and rose again. You are God and I am not. I ask you for, to forgive me. As much as I know how, I'm ready to change direction by giving you my life. I'm ready to follow you from now on and do what you want me to do. Please come into my life and make me new on the inside. Help me to grow so I can be like you. God, we thank you for tonight. God, help us to see your power through the life of Esther 
to work in our lives, to help us make decisions, to empower us over Satan's sin, hell, and the grave. We ask all these things in Jesus' powerful name. And all God's people said, amen, amen.